0: The first thing to recognize is that process should be light touch, and it's intended to make it easier for people to do their jobs effectively, efficiently, and securely. Don't complicate it. I've said before, and I will say it again, there is elegance in simplicity.
1: Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. No matter where you are on your cloud journey, you are going to gain a lot of insights from today's episode of Status Quo. I'm your host, Jeff Tunn. My guest today is Dustin Milburn, Field CTO of Cloud Services for InterVision. Dustin is returning for part two of our Cloud Journey series. In our first installment, he and I talked about taking a people-first approach as you embark on your journey. For those who may not have heard that episode, I encourage you to check it out. In this conversation, we're gonna dig into process, the second element of people, process, then tools. Welcome back to Status Go, Dustin. Hey Jeff, it's great to be back. Been looking forward to this and I was honored to be your
0: 100th episode last time.
1: That was fantastic. I didn't realize when we were recording it that it was going to be the 100th episode. It's a pretty good milestone for the show and it was so cool to have you as the 100th guest. So thank you for that.
0: Uh, It was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun.
1: In that first discussion, we talked a lot about the view that the cloud is a journey as opposed to a destination. I think nowhere is that more apparent than the impact on process. What processes are impacted by this transformation from on-premises-based technology to cloud-based technology? Great
0: question. You know, the traditional approaches to consuming on-premise-based infrastructure has for, for years now, right? You, you buy the infrastructure, you put it in your data center, you put it in the racks you install virtual machine soft you know some sort of hypervisor to to provision virtual machines and and then you know whether manually or automat or through auto, some sort of automation you're you're provisioning those machines out to engineers to be able to start building software and, and that's great and you can still do some of that in the cloud obviously you don't go into the data center anymore the cloud providers do that for you but when when we look at what's really shifted relative to cloud, it is, it's moved from what was traditionally an infrastructure problem to one of a software problem, right? We, we consume resources, and, and this is the, the auspice for the term the consumption model, right? The cloud has created an ever-present focus on the consumption model, and, and as a result, we consume infrastructure as a service through software as opposed to the traditional infrastructure approach. And so as a result of doing that through software, uh, that requires organizations to think more holistically about the processes that support security and governance and cost. Um, and the ability to do those, those processes seamlessly, whether it's on-premise or in the cloud, is going to be, be really incumbent upon organizations as they look to stay compliant and, and successful In their journey. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: I know governance is such a broad topic, but at that macro level of governance, how does a migration to cloud impact governance and governance processes?
0: Well, I can think of a couple of things that jump off the page for me. Uh, you know, One is you, you no longer have, when you're in the cloud, you no longer have control over those physical assets anymore, right? Those are controlled by somebody else. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But more likely organizations are, you know, most organizations don't pick up 100% of everything and move it into the cloud, right? They're still going to have some on-premise environment. And so when they think about governance, the first thing they need to consider is okay we, we've got workloads in two different premises should we have two different governance models and, and my advice to organizations is don't like find the the governance policy that is uh the most comprehensive and that keeps you in compliance in both and then have a single governance policy that spans across both but you've also now got to start thinking about you know the the, the workloads that are no longer within your physical control Know how do you have a governance policy that accounts for those? And um, so, I encourage organizations to start getting really familiar with the shared responsibility model that cloud
1: providers have put in place uh, relative to security and compliance. In our on-demand webcast series on the cloud journey, we advocate for a unified governance structure uh, at that macro level, the overriding level. How do you? counsel clients and talk to them that as they're on this journey to ensure that the right hand knows what the left hand is doing when you're in this hybrid architecture mode of some on-premises, some cloud?
0: Well, that's a great question. You know, So the first thing to recognize is that process should be light touch, and it's intended to make it easier for people to do their jobs effectively, efficiently, and securely. Um, and so don't complicate it. Uh, I, I've said before, and I will say it again, there is elegance in simplicity. So keep whatever governance process you have, make sure it keeps you in compliance, but don't overcomplicate it. And the second is don't have two, right? I mean, Shakespeare wrote a play about it, Servant of Two Masters, and there's no success in, for organizations or individuals trying to appease. Two different uh, compliance standards. It's just going to actually, it's probably putting you at greater risk of not being in compliance with either one. So I think that you've got to look at where you're at risk in both approaches hybrid, uh, so the on premise and in, in the public cloud. And you say, which policy can I use overarching to govern both environments? And then how do I educate people on what those compliance standards are? How do I measure against that and make it really easy for folks to know? Hey, I'm in compliance or I'm not. Uh, and so yeah, that would be the counsel I would give to the audiences. Keep it simple, but have it be a singular approach. Because if you don't, you're, you're actually at more risk.
1: And I love that we're talking Shakespeare and cloud at the same time. That, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, you, little did you know he was a technical
1: visionary. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Who would have known that he was talking about cloud? But no, seriously, I love that reference because it is so important as you're thinking about the split mind of being in this hybrid world. Another significant part of governance, and I know you know this firsthand from being in the chair as CIO, as CTO earlier in your career, is portfolio management. How do you counsel clients to change their portfolio management process while they're on this journey.
0: Yeah. So the portfolio, if done appropriately should make it really easy for organizations to understand what work they have uh, in front of them, what the highest priority items are that need to be addressed and how to ensure that they get first slot in the the order of operations. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I think that, um, and and by the way, the process to to manage and govern that, put governance around that is called the value chain, right? You should have a way to know, are we working on the highest value, highest impact items first? And so I think having a rubric to score those uh, is important. Right. Um, you know, in, in an agile software development world that where organizations are using Scrum to manage their portfolio of work, right? They they do what's called story pointing. And then you can determine the velocity and the value of what you do based on that, right? In a Kanban world, you you assign work in progress or WIP and and so understanding how you score value to things is really important. So having that metric and keeping a consistent rubric around that is critical. Mm-hmm. So then, ha- like I said, having the value chain in place to understand that what are the inputs and outputs to success? What you know? So when I finish a, a workload, how do I know that I actually got the value out of it that I intended when I started the work? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a that's a courageous thing for especially for technical leaders to be able to do to make that very public and and ensure that they are. Um, are adhering to that approach and, and willing and able to change and flex as they learn more about how their organization operates and how they are following the process or not, and then how they get back on track.
1: I love that you brought it back to value and the value chain, the value stream, because that's really the fundamental piece of portfolio management, and it ties back to something you said earlier about don't overcomplicate things right we're used to doing portfolio management or we should be based on value we continue to do that even in this hybrid world i think that's great advice now you mentioned something about this earlier and i want to i want to drill down into this because security and security and compliance are always top of mind for the cio and the cto and you mentioned something called the shared responsibility model can you talk about what that is and uh, what processes need to be in place or changed to ensure that you are secure and compliant in the cloud? Yeah. So if
0: you are a 100% on-premise customer you know, in the, in your, or organizations, which means you, you manage and maintain the physical facilities in which your data center resides... Then you have full control over the locks on the doors. You have full control over the locks on the cages. You can go in and physically uh, interact with the equipment, the network, the cabling, the HVAC. Right, you control it all. When you when you move to a colo, right, no longer do you have control over. The, the physical building, right? So you have to choose a co-location facility that is in compliance with whatever security and compliance standards are, are important and critical for your organization. And you can still get into the physical data center and into your cage, right? But you need a way to prove that you're still in compliance. However, when you move to the cloud, not only do you no longer control the physical building, you no longer control the physical assets. Matter of fact, in most cases, you don't even know what brand of technology is running uh, your your workloads. So as as a result, cloud providers they realize that that organizations that consume their work consume their infrastructure to provision their workloads, they have compliance standards. They realize that, and so what they've done is in order to help organizations stay in compliance, they've created what's called the shared responsibility model, where they will provide. Uh, governance and supporting evidence that you're in compliance with that governance, they're in compliance with the physical infrastructure, the regions, the availability zones, and all those edge locations. They'll also make sure that the physical infrastructure, the compute, the storage, the networking, you know, the, the database servers, the all those things are They have the appropriate level of of patching, that they are in compliance with the security. And then the software that is used to provision those out is also compliant, because those are all the things that the cloud providers manage, maintain, and control, and that we as consumers don't have access to. But everything beyond that, you still need to have your compliance and security around. So Mm -hmm. the client-side data, making sure that the integrity is in place, who has access, uh, you know, when you provision virtual servers, whether they be through virtual machines or through containers, are you at the right patch levels for your operating systems? D- are you protecting data in transit and at rest? Th- these are all the things that you have to be able to, to prove that you're still in compliance of regardless of where your data live. Mm-hmm. So especially for those in a hybrid world, you know, build your compliance standards and your governance standards around that kind of most restrictive and understand that you just need the artifacts to be able to support that. And the the cloud providers do a great job of making that easy for you to consume that evidence to show you're in compliance, but then have the same standards for everything that's above that line. That's the customer responsibility.
1: Well, you've had a lot of experience of migrating workloads to the cloud, both when you were in the CIO, CTO role, And then now that you're on the other side of the desk, helping our clients do that as well, what are some of the biggest gotchas that you've seen when it comes to implementing security and security processes in the cloud?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, I think that the biggest mistake that organizations make, whether security's in the cloud or or still on-prem, but especially when it's in the cloud, um, because everything, like we talked about earlier, now everything's a software challenge, uh, is to have security and compliance be an afterthought. Instead, what we want to encourage organizations to do is think about this holistic definition of done that incorporates security, compliance, the measurement, uh, cost, uh, you know, performance, um, as well as the functionality, all to be built into that definition of done. So that it no longer is something somebody else's problem to go deal with at any point in time. It has to be a shared responsibility, uh, a shared approach. And this really comes from having a healthy DevOps or DevSecOps culture within an organization. But really bake those requirements into the definition of done so that you, when you're done with it and you release it, you know it's secure. You know it's performant. You know it's optimized. You know it's within your cost controls and you don't have to worry about it.
1: I love that phrase, the, the definition of done. Uh, I think we could all use that in just about everything we do in technology is make sure we understand the definition of done and make sure it includes security. Now, we may have some skeptics amongst our listeners uh, when it comes to cloud and cloud security. How do you respond to the question, is the cloud secure?
0: Well, there's two things that come to mind for me when I think, uh, and customers ask me this question a lot, right, is, well, I would turn that question back around and say, well, how do you know that your data center is secure, right? Or your infrastructure mm-hmm. is secure. Yeah. All, all, we talk about that shared responsibility model. Customers still have exactly the same, or you know, organizations that develop and deliver on infrastructure have the same responsibilities regardless of where the physical infrastructure live. You know, in some ways, consuming the cloud is somebody else's data center. There's a whole bunch of uh, nuance to that. But you still have to maintain and manage that level of security the same regardless of where the workloads live. As I mentioned before, those providers, whether it be Amazon or Google or Microsoft, IBM, Oracle, Alibaba, it doesn't matter. These organizations are not only concerned about their own security. They're concerned about the security of every organization that subscribes to their products and services. So it's incumbent upon them to not only stay secure, just to protect themselves and and all their customers, but also provide the governance and proof that they are in compliance with the highest level of security standards. And, And like I said before, they've made it very easy for you to consume that proof to show that you are compliant.
1: Helps you check those boxes because they provide you with that data as you're going through your maybe your assessment or your audit. So that makes that part of it a little bit easier. Yeah. I want to talk now about maybe the elephant in the room. A lot of times when we talk cloud, we talk DevOps. And there are probably a million different definitions of what is DevOps. So I want to ask you, what is DevOps? And then as a follow-up, can you do cloud without it?
0: Both great questions. You're right. If you ask 10 people what DevOps is, you're going to get 10 different answers. Um, I tend to be a little bit more, more purist in my approach to this and, and go back to the original intent of what the term means. And so <clears throat> it's not a noun. It's not a verb. It, it, it's an adjective. And so you you can't do DevOps. You cannot be a DevOps. However, you can have a healthy DevOps culture. Um, it's sort of like healthy. Healthy is an adjective, right? And so you become healthy by eating well and exercising. We talked about that during the people first. So when we when we think about this term of DevOps, and actually we should really expand that uh, out to DevSecOps because, you know, with our definition of done, we, we bake security into yeah, that as well. That's right. Yeah, The intent behind it is to have a healthy culture, a blameless culture, where all of the required inputs and outputs are are baked into um, that definition of done like we talked about before. So when something goes wrong, it's not a finger pointing exercise. It means that everybody is responsible and accountable for the outputs. So if there's a security element that goes wrong or an infrastructure element that goes wrong, it's just as much the software developers problem as it is the developer or the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, operations engineer or the, or the security engineer, right? So the intent behind it was to actually break down silos and where a lot of organizations get this, I, th- in my opinion, uh, wrong or can introduce more risk and challenges by hiring more people with that title and then putting them in a role where now they've got responsibility for things like the CI/CD pipeline and tool chain. In fact, by doing that, you may actually be perpetuating the problem that having a healthy DevOps or DevSecOps culture was intended to break down, which is creating another silo of responsibility. Instead we really want that shared focus on accountability where organizations universally succeed or fail. And if they do fail, they fail fast, they learn and they recover and they get better from it. Um, But that's ultimately what it was intended to be. And that's where I encourage organizations to focus. And that's why we start with people first. Um, But in answer to your second question, can organizations leverage the cloud successfully without uh, instituting a healthy DevOps culture? They can. And, it, you know, it's really workload dependent. Like, what are they trying to do, right? If they're just picking up, a, a lifting and shifting an application that they don't do development on, well, then maybe it's not critical to an organization to have that in place. But um, I would say that most organizations that do have development, that do have security, and they have operations as well that need to think about optimizing their consumption of the cloud, while they could do it without a healthy DevOps, DevSecOps culture, they're probably going to have lower quality higher costs, higher technical debt, um, and more security vulnerabilities and longer times to recognize success. So getting organized around the work, uh, aligning your people to the processes that you want to have them demonstrate to be able to show success is critical. And so I think to do it well, if you're, if you're doing development, I think it's, it's pretty critical to do.
1: Well, I know in your career you've been involved in many DevOps implementations. Where's your recommendation as a for a good place to start?
0: Well, it, this goes back to our first podcast, Jeff. I think we you got to start with the people. Um, when you, depending on where you are and the maturity of your organization, uh, you're going to have varying degrees of success or impediments to success on on making that shift uh, from. Uh, a cultural element. And so you uh, I think you have to look at w- where you have strength and where you have weaknesses and sometimes um, and re- realize you're going to have adopters and resistors from a people perspective. but I think just like you know change is hard for any organization mm-hmm. and it's hard for individuals. Matter of fact, the individuals is where it's really hard, right? Conceptually, we can come up with lots of great plans for change, but to implement them is hard because the people don't necessarily come along for the ride. And so, you know, during our podcast on People First, we talked about health and getting healthy being a a good analog to um, healthy cloud adoption, right? Sometimes we got to hire a personal trainer. We have blind spots. We can't see. We're so close to the work, we can't see that our habits or our behaviors are actually impeding us from uh, recognizing the benefits that we want from the change that we're hoping to implement. And so I would say sometimes just getting somebody in to help you understand where your strengths are and where your opportunities are and work with your organization to coach them through that kind of transformation is critical. I also think that um, one of the biggest challenges organizations have is you know, from a leadership perspective, and and how they uh, how they guide through that change is going to be critical uh, to mm-hmm. its success. And so, it starts with good leadership, and it starts with the opportunity to really um, be brave enough to embrace that that journey and and listen to the feedback and get open and honest, objective
1: partnership to help you succeed. You mentioned this earlier. You talked about a blameless environment and. Uh, the finger pointing that sometimes happens between dev and ops. And as you're implementing this, part of the goal is to reduce that friction. And it it reminded me of a commercial from a million years ago. So uh, probably the 70s or the 80s, but there was this commercial about, hey, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. No, I didn't. You got peanut butter in my chocolate. So which is harder, transforming Dev?" into DevOps or transforming ops into DevOps?
0: Well, first of all, you just dated yourself and (laughs) me because I know that that is a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup commercial. Yep, Uh, yep,
1: yep. But
0: it's a really great question. I think it's situational and it depends. I talked about leadership just a second ago. And depending on how leaders came up through in their career, right, uh, most technology leaders either came up through the software engineering ranks or they came up through the IT operations ranks. Most of them, you know, some not, but, and, and some came, you know, out of more the, the, you know, business operations side of things. And so I would say, regardless of where you came up, you, you're going to have blind spots and you're going to have a bent towards certain things, right? Those that came up through the software engineering are going to just by their very nature gravitate more towards supporting what's going on from a software development uh, perspective, and that's that's natural because that's what you know, that's how you grew up, um, and so I would say the same is true on the operations side. So I would say recognize that they're both going to be hard because, like we said, change is hard. Yeah. But uh, you know, you can do things to to cut it off at the knees, and I think that you know, again, we talk about words matter and the, the leadership language and posture around that but also how are you incenting people to want to change? What's in it for them, right? Why would I, as a traditional data center engineer, want to make this change into the cloud? Maybe I think my job is going away. Well, instead, maybe say, hey, look, I'm going to help you uplevel your job. I'm going to give you new skills. I'm going to transform you from a traditional rack and stack infrastructure engineer into one of a software engineer. And traditionally, software engineers get paid a little bit more than infrastructure and operations people. So it's Helping organizations and people understand what's in it for them to make that transition, I think kind of levels the playing field and it helps everybody want to do more together.
1: Dustin, you've used that C word a couple of times, that being the word change. And change requires action. And as you know, on Status Go, we love to leave our listeners with some real tangible actions that they can take as a result of listening to our program. What are one or two things our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today?
0: I can think of three really concrete things that are imperative to uh, guiding organizations through change. Um, So I would say first and most importantly, have a plan. Uh, You know, hope without a plan is a dream. Right. So you, you, you gotta have a plan to affect good change. And so, and that plan should really consist of where are we today? Where do we want to be? And where are we at gap? Cause that, that's the work. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's first and foremost, have a plan. And like I said before, having a, a neutral third party help you develop that plan sometimes, oftentimes is uh, more effective and it's seen as more uh, objective And unbiased to the people that have to affect the change. Second is, um, I would say, keep score. Uh, Find a rubric for your success, regardless of what it is. Find a way to keep score toward and measure your, um, your ability to institute and affect that change. And make it really transparent. And this is this is a really hard thing, and where organizations, this is where the wheels start to come off the bus, is that if they don't keep score, and they're not measuring it. It's hard for people to to see how how the work that they're doing actually affects um, the transformation. And also, the, the risk for people keeping score and making it transparent is they're trying to. Cover up failures, and I would say, don't cover up your failures. Your failures don't mean that you're an absolute failure. It means that you've got a deficiency that you need to embrace and and resolve. It's an opportunity for improvement. So, you know, the the Agile Manifesto preaches fail fast, recover fast, and I think the same is true in change management and adopting these people and process changes. And the third, um, this this one kind of goes hand in glove with keeping scores. Don't be afraid to. Adopt and change your plan as you go through. You may end up in a different place than you thought you would, uh, but that's okay. As long as you're you're keeping score and you're helping people understand what's in it for them and why you're 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 adjusting course as you go through this uh, change management process.
1: I love those three actions because they are they are things that our listeners can immediately put into place. Plan. That is so fundamental to a lot of what we do in technology is to make sure that you have a plan, Uh, keep score, keep good metrics and be transparent about what you're doing well and maybe where you need to improve. And then that third one is so key. Be willing to change plans. Uh, They're not set in stone. This is a journey. And sometimes You have to navigate around an accident in front of you to get to your destination as you're going. Dustin, thank you so much for being on our program today. I I love our conversations. I'm already looking forward to our next one. Uh, Thanks for taking the time.
0: Yeah, likewise. It was a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to our next one as well.
1: Process. One of the big three when it comes to change while on the cloud journey. Next time we get together, Dustin and I will be exploring the third dimension, tools. Be on the lookout for that conversation. And if you haven't caught our first episode in the Cloud Journey series, Cloud First means People First, I encourage you to listen to it today. In the meantime, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information and we'll be sure and include a link right there in the show notes to the first episode in this series, so it'll be easy for you to find. This is Jeff Tun for Dustin Milberg. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.